it can take, again, a lot of courage and a lot of willpower to stay in that space when another person is going off to stay there, even though this other person is spazzing out. Shirley Johnson is a licensed marriage and family therapist, energy healer, worker, badass woman. Also, we have a friend in common, and I love this conversation about conflict and conflict resolution and how rarely the thing that we're fighting about is really what we're angry about. For me in the past, it's been a baguette, a Tupperware, not seeing each other enough financial stuff, and always there was something underneath. So today we're talking about how do you get to that? How do you get to what's underneath? What is the story that's underneath the conflict? Also, how to regulate, right? How to regulate your nervous system so that you show up to a conflict repair conversation in a state of mind and a state of body that is conducive to conflict resolution, right? You can't fix conflict if you're freaking the fuck out. It's only going to make it worse. So we're exploring that and how to talk about sex. Somehow that crept into the conversation, as it often does with me. I'm grateful to Shirley. Thank you. I think you're going to love this episode. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. Okay, okay, we're recording now. Shirley, Shirley, could you please introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Shirley Johnson. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist practicing in Oakland with couples and adults. And I've been studying and immersed in energy healing for the last 15 years. I'm happy to be here. And we have a friend in common. We do, yes. Yeah, Ms. Ms. Martinez. Ms. Martinez, Rihanna. So how how is like marriage and family therapy, psychotherapy connected to energy healing? That's a great question. The way I feel they're connected is the history of psychology is that that word even psychology is coming from the Greek psycheology. Psyche is the feminine, psycho is the masculine. So in English it became psycho psychology the masculine, but that psyche is the feminine and it's the feminine soul. And that's really what there's a part of that in psychology that for me is where energy healing and psychology or therapy meet. It's that place of mystery, that place of that which is felt, but not necessarily always tangible or measurable to the human senses. Hmm. Also, I was talking to my therapist about this and and uh, we were talking about some people who just don't believe in psychology or in, in psychotherapy as an effective path to healing. And she mentioned or kind of clued me into this idea of, uh, you know, psychos, yes, the psyche, then also logic, mm-hmm. right? The sort of the logic of the psyche and how this work is, you know, it, it is like art to a certain degree, but also 
um, it's concrete. It's concrete and it's understandable and it works. And I'm a huge, I'm like pro, huge pro therapy person and uh, rereading M. Scott Peck's uh, Road Less Traveled. And also interested in this, like, you know, the mystery of love, the mystery of our stories, the mystery of relationships and, and sort of the mystery of healing. And then also all of the light that uh, psychology brings to uh, to these processes. So anyways, I'm pumped that we're talking about this today. Me too. I already love that. The mystery of love and the mystery of healing. I'm juiced. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, I wish it were like easier than it is. And I wish psychotherapy, uh, marriage and family therapy, counseling, psychology, whatever was, uh, more accessible. Yeah. I wish it was more accessible to more people and, you know, part of me kind of wishes it didn't take as long as it does because it, it's kind of a laborious <laughs> process. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Anyways, I don't have any follow-ups to that. I'm just, they're more just wishes. Yeah. I hear you. We had the intention of talking about conflict and something that you said while we were talking uh, in our like pre-podcast phone call was that conflict is a gateway to intimacy. And I think I know what you mean by that or why I wrote that down, but can you shed some light on it? Sure. Conflict is and can or can be a gateway to intimacy. And the reason that I tend to lean on that side is because when we are in conflict, one of the primary attributes is that we are having, we meaning one person and another person, at least it can be a bigger conflict, but we'll just stick to a two person conflict, have different ideas, different needs, different opinions. And it is in that difference that often a couple, and again, this can be a romantic couple, this can be any kind of coupling. Often it's the difference that we're drawn to in one another. We are drawn to something that we are perhaps seeing in another person that we don't see always in ourselves. And so yet when conflict happens and one person has one thing they want, the other person has another thing, what tends to happen is people shut down and they stop connecting. But in fact, being able to understand the other's point of view and the other's need for this thing or want is actually helping to know this person better. Sometimes it's not just about the thing that's causing the conflict. It's about understanding why each person feels the way that they do about whatever it is that they are um, asking for or requesting. In my experience, it's rarely about mm. the thing. <laughs> Mine as well. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I mean, I could remember an argument that I had with a previous girlfriend because uh, she handed me a Tupperware that was much too large for the piece of cheese that I wanted to put in the Tupperware. And that was a fight. Or there was one about a baguette, <laughs> right? And so the baguette was the trigger for th whatever the conflict was. I think it was something around control at the, at the, at the time. Um, so... Yeah, my experience is rarely the thing that we're we're arguing or, or having conflict about that is the source of the conflict, and right. and I kind of suspected that that that's what you meant by gateways is a, is a or conflict is a gateway to intimacy, because yeah, we can shut down, mm -hmm. we can feel threatened mm -hmm. by our 
our person, whoever it is, could be a friend, family member, a boss, their differences, right? We can feel shut down or threatened by their differences, or we could see it as an opportunity to understand them more and see where they're coming from. Here's the issue that I think I've run into is that sometimes the other person doesn't know where it's coming Mm -hmm. from. That's a good point. They're not, they're not, they don't have that level of self-awareness. And so to them, it is about the baguette. It is about the Tupperware. When really it's not, it's about, you know, how they were spoken to as a child or, or X, Y, Z. Um, so I think that's a, a pretty big challenge for some people who, who don't understand oh, yeah. uh, their story. That can, be a, that can be a really difficult moment between people is when one person is really in the story from the past. I'll say, you know, if it's like, this is about the baguette, but they're, they're so in the story that they don't even know they're in it. And that the other person is is willing to say, okay, I'm willing to soften a little bit and not get defensive. I'm willing to to try to be vulnerable with you in this moment and not go full on into a power struggle. That can be really mm-hmm. difficult. And I think it can take a lot of courage if one person in that duo is conscious in the moment to say, okay, you know, I, this is how I'm feeling to stay in that state of presence when the other person is clearly not present. I do think that because we're mammals, because we're mammals, it's not the only reason, but, you know, one of the mammalian parts of our animal human side is that we do actually feed off of each other. We do co-regulate each other. And so, it can take, again, a lot of courage and a lot of willpower to stay in that space of if we are regulated when another person is going off, to stay there, even though this other person is spazzing out. Yeah, that, that feels like taking the road less traveled, right? That this, is, this takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of patience to be the regulated person and to see that your other person is struggling and to choose to stay mm. centered and grounded. Mm-hmm for the benefit of the other and eventually of the relationship. Can, can you just share a little bit about what you mean by regulation? I think you and I both know, but. Yeah. And I realized I was like, I don't know if that I used that word, but that might not be the best word. Um, when I say regulated, what I am meaning is, is really just being able to stay present and in the present moment in your body, meaning that you can actually track how you feel and not get lost in the feeling. Does that clarify a little bit more? Okay. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I understand the term because I've read about it, but but not everybody does. I think it's pretty like yeah. jargony therapy. Talk. I got into my jargon <laughs> therapist talk. It really just means being able to stay present in the moment and not meet the other person where they're at and stay really in it. What's an integrity to oneself, which is if what's an integrity to me is, well, I'm calm. I'm willing to talk about this. I'm not going to match the other person if they are wanting to go off on me. <laughs> hey, wait, and let's be let's be clear that that is really hard. Very to do. hard to do, and also we can be clear and say it's not always what we're going to do. It's not always yeah. the choice. I mean, sometimes you don't have the choice. I do want to touch on this. I, I feel like it's kind of connected. Uh, this idea that uh, when we're in front of the person there's an ability there to co-regulate, to co like to attune to like 
tune into each other's energy and to be able to like calm the nervous system down. Mm-hmm. Is that true? In my experience, I do see it as true. I see it as very as a as a possibility at least of when we are physically together, we are nervous system to nervous system, body to body. Even just being with someone who's breathing slowly can slow the other person's breath down. I've seen that. I think that's the power of meditative groups or yogic groups that do a lot of breath work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also holding the person's hand can have like a tremendous impact on helping calm. I guess the the reason I'm bringing it up is because we are talking about conflict and these are tools, right? Being in front of your person or next to your person or holding their hand, these are tools that can help someone who's feeling like a lot of anxiety or a lot of excitement, um, not necessarily pleasant excitement, help them sort of calm down a little bit so that they can explore the source of the conflict instead of getting wrapped up in the story and then the energy ramping up and ramping up and ramping up. And at one point, I think, in my experience, when it gets up there, it's really hard to bring it back down. Absolutely. Once it's at a certain point, it can it takes it can take a lot more effort to to come back down. And indeed, I would say that physical touch, um, breathing together, looking at one another in the eye can be ways for the couple as a unit, again, whether it's romantic couple or not, to start to come into the present moment together. And I see this a lot with couples that I work with that as soon as there's some semblance of conflict, difference, and there's often, I'll say, a level besides conflict, many people often have shame that they're having conflict with a loved one because many of us have been taught a good relationship is not going to have any conflict. Well, we never fight. So then when there is a fight, it's like, well, I don't want to tell anyone about it. So there's already a layer of shame there. But what happens is I often see people's body language. I think this is what you're speaking to, Sean. Body language start to drift away. They're looking in opposite directions. They're not looking at each other. They're, maybe they came, they had a part of their body touching. Now they're not touching. And often what I'm mm-hmm. going to invite is, okay, there's difference. There's upset. There's anger, whatever it is. Can you all look at each other in the face? Can you, you know, oftentimes one person, at least, if not both, wants a hug or wants some kind of touch, Mm -hmm. wants to feel connected, but doesn't always know how to say in that moment of conflict or disagreement, I really, I would really like to hug you right now. Hmm. Yeah. Can we take a time out? Can we take a few minutes? to reconnect. You know, I got to say that that is hard to pull off when you're angry. Yeah, really hard. (laughs) Or when your ego is in the way, right? Your pride. Because you feel right. You feel like that you were were wronged and that you need to prove yourself. And so why in the heck would you want to make loving eye contact or give somebody a hug? Well, the reason I definitely agree, I, you know, I have lots of times when I'm going off and then it takes me a, a few minutes to be like, oh, I, I really just went off about X, Y, Z. And one thing though, that is helping me to slow down is realizing or asking myself in these moments, what is it that I really need? What is it that I really want? Do I want to be right? Or do I want to have closeness? Oftentimes I, you know, because of the modeling I got from my family and, modeling I got from society. I do go in sometimes like I want to be right and I want to be heard. And 
under that though is often I really just want to be I want to be held. I want to feel safe. I want to know that I'm important to you. And so it's in those moments I think as a person if you're getting ramped up, if we can really say, "Okay, am I going to get my needs met by like crossing my arms at this person and not looking at them? Is that really what I need?" Most of the time, if I can ask myself that, I can soften because I know that's not going to get my need met. In those moments, what I need and want is to be closer. Yeah, I, I was laughing because I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, Shirley that wants to be right and that wants to be heard. <laughs> and then <laughs> you get that, but it doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like making somebody apologize when they finally apologize. It's like they didn't even apologize in the first place. Right? So being right. And, you know, sure, I, 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 I just want to recognize that it's important to feel understood and to feel heard. But what you're saying is that oftentimes the need underneath that is really to feel close. Yeah. To feel connected. Absolutely. To feel connected. Because oftentimes this is what happens, right? In conflict, there's a difference. Mm-hmm. There's a difference that leads to disconnection, right? Like either a, a worldview is totally different or a goal is totally different, or we see a situation completely differently, or we have, like you said, different needs. And that that can threaten the relationship, can feel like a threat, right? Which can feel like a disconnect. Yeah. And what it's what it kind of feels like is that we're when we're in conflict, we're sort of in disconnection. And I almost want to just say blanket statement, we just all really want to feel connected to the people that we love. Yeah, I would go with that blanket statement. And I would, you know, I think I would be curious about the question as we're talking. It makes me think like, okay, how do we stay connected in disconnection? Like, how do we stay connected when there is a disconnect, when this person that we're so close to and love, and maybe we've married or we've committed a certain amount of years to, tells us they want something very different than what we want? How do we stay connected? And I think often that disconnect what tethers it is, is there fear? This person wants something different than I do. And I'm afraid that that means our whole dynamic is going to change. And I don't want it to change. And I, I think when, and this takes work too, I'm not, I'm not trying to simplify any of this. God knows I live in the, I live in the thrusts of this every day in my personal life. When I can trust that, of course, the relationship is going to change. And I can trust that the change is going to be safe for me, no matter what, I'm going to be held in it, if even if not by the person that I'm involved with, you know, then then I can let that disconnect or that that different want be there. But often that disconnect is I think happening because of the fear. Okay, well, I'm scared now that I'm gonna be abandoned, so I'm disconnected. Yeah. Or I'm pushing you away. Absolutely. Before you can push me away. Yeah. I was thinking the dynamic is always going to change, mm-hmm. right? When you said that, I go, we, we can't protect against that. We can't, we can, we can embrace it. We can not like it, mm-hmm. but we can't protect against a dynamic not changing because everything changes. So I liked you saying, but will I feel safe in this dynamic changing? And does it, do, do we grow together? Do we grow apart? Do we grow on similar trajectories? Um, hopefully if this is a romantic relationship and you're in a committed, you know, format, then I I hope that it continues to, to work for you. Yeah. And sometimes it won't. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the dynamic is going to change in, in a really significant way. 
Yeah. I mean, the example that keeps coming to my head, and I think maybe it's partially because I read a post about it this morning that I really enjoyed, was about um, a woman, uh, Dina Rivers was posting about, you know, what do you do when you and your partner have different sex drives? Mm. And I see this happen all the time. I'm sure, Sean, that you've talked to many people in dynamics with this, where one person has a higher sex drive than the other, or the one person has no sex drive. And and that maybe the couple used to have a really high shared libido and that it's shifted. And one thing that this woman put in her post was like, your partner is not a sex worker. And I was like, damn. But I was like, that's wow. so deep because I think about how often I see, at least in my work, sex and the difference in sex drive being such a cause for challenge in relationships. And often it also is rooted in discomfort in talking very explicitly about sex and what's happening in one's libido. Isn't that the number one cause of couples like going to see therapists? Sex and money. <laughs> no surprises money. there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and no surprise that that it's hard to talk about because most couples don't don't start out talking about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sex or money. Yeah. Right. Money is sort of like a taboo. Uh, you know, I don't, for, for a long time, I didn't feel like I uh, was able to be privy to my partner's financial situation or even talk about money with her because it was none of my business. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually after a while, it does become your business, mm-hmm. right? literal business. Yeah. <laughs> and and sex we 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 just you know, we kind of hope that we'll figure it out without having to talk about it and that it'll be fulfilling and fun and and that we'll grow even closer together and in my experience even in relationships where I've started talking about sex, we've eventually like kind of stopped talking about it as much. And it was a it was challenging to bring it up again after so long and that's in a relationship where we started talking about sex there are i'm guessing the majority of relationships where people don't talk about sex at all oh yeah yeah i mean i've always thought it well not always that's a lie recently in the last couple years i have found it to be very effective to speak with potential partners or people who i was romantically involved with really explicitly about sex before we even had sex, meaning we might not even have sex, but let's talk really explicitly about it so that it's normalized and so that it's natural. And so that I could also see where this other person was around their own discovery about, you know, where they're at in their sexual desire journey in the moment. But to your point, it does change over time (laughs) and you can go in talking about it and then all of a sudden not talk about it, especially in relationships where, you know, like you pointed out about money, where something becomes your business as our partners become part of our business or we're growing a family together or we're investing in something together. Sometimes the talks and conversations about sex become less prioritized. And the conflict can can pop up when you expect your partner to be a sex worker. Yep. Mm -hmm. The sex worker and also another one that I see a lot, and I've done a lot too, is expecting my partner to be my source of confidence 
I don't, I want that person to make Mm. me feel good about myself. And instead of looking at the root of that, which is in myself, right? Which is, wow, sometimes I don't feel good about myself and I don't know how to do it. I want to outsource my responsibility to someone else. And I think this is often a cause of conflict too, is many relationships these days are built on two people (laughs) outsourcing some really difficult energy healing work that they don't want to do for themselves to another person. Well, this person makes me feel good about myself. This person makes me feel happy. I don't want to do that for myself. I want to find someone who's going to do it for me. But inevitably, that person will not be able to fulfill that role at some point or another. And then there's the conflict of, why aren't you doing this for me? You don't do the thing that used to make me feel this kind of way. Yeah, because uh, a lot, a lot, some, um, some of our needs are inside job Absolutely. needs, right? I just, I just wrapped up a course on getting your needs met and we explored, you know, if you're looking at your partner to help you feel your need for worth or value or self-esteem or self-love, you're in for a world of hurt because it's unsustainable for anybody to give you that for any length of time. Mm-hmm. And humans are fallible, so they're going to fail. They're going to fail because you've set them up to yeah. fail, right? When you're looking for someone else to, to help you feel worthy, that's, that's an inside job. Mm-hmm. I think I was reading Marianne Williamson this week, A Return to Love, and there was just some, some quote, just a passage, not even like a a particular impactful one, but it was it was basically like, if you don't believe in yourself, no one else is going to help you, is going to be able to make you feel okay. Yeah. And that's a lot to ask of someone. And I could I could see that creating a lot of conflict with the, with the other partner going like, yo, dude, this isn't my job. Yeah, or with the other person um, not even knowing it's not their job, but still getting into conflict right. about it. And it's amazing trying trying. and it's amazing to me though, how many relationships are built on trying to get that sense of fill in the blank worthiness, whatever my personal opinion would be, whatever that biggest childhood wound or Chiron is wanting to get it from someone else. Is it though? Is it surprising? <laughs> well, it is when we're talking about it and it's like, oh, I'm reading Marianne Williamson and I took a course on needs and I'm talking and then being like, oh, and I guess we're all human. I do it too. God knows I have to check myself probably every day about how I'm going about getting my needs met and how I'm going about taking care of that inner child in me who, who needs to be reassured of a lot of things. I mean, I also want to say I too sometimes need reassurance and have asked my partner for, for reassurance. I've even said like, Hey, could you, I'm feeling kind of insecure these days. Can you just share with me what you love about me and why you're in a relationship with Mm. me? And by the way, sweet practice, very, very sweet, uh, especially if your partner is willing to do that for you. And especially if you've got the courage to ask for that stuff, um, it can be super rich, super, super, super rich. But that happens when I'm feeling insecure and and she's around and I feel like hearing that. If I if I ask that of her every day, because I was insecure, like deeply, deeply insecure about our relationship and about myself, then we would have an issue. Yeah. But you know, uh, sporadic reassurance when you're feeling down is totally valid, 
right? Absolutely. Um, a, a little, a little like pep talk before a course because your confidence is a little shaky. Totally valid. Absolutely. But we can't outsource all of those all of the time because it's unreasonable. Yeah, it's the both end. And it'll never be enough. It'll never be enough. Yeah. And especially even to think we could just have it from one person all the time. I think it's, you know, even if it was like, okay, I do need some, of course we need reassurance. We're we're communal animals. We resonate off of each other. And sometimes we might even get that reassurance when we haven't asked for it. Because sometimes we're in a relationship where someone's like, I just want to tell you how wonderful you are. Right? Like, I just want to love up on you for a minute, not because there's anything wrong, but because I feel in my spirit moved to tell you all the things that I think are wonderful about you. And, right, I think that anytime one person is looking for one person, especially as adults, to do that for them all the time, it's just that other person sometimes can do it and sometimes can't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that brought me to therapy and that has kept me in therapy is, is being able to identify what are those needs that are mine to meet and how can I meet those? Um, and it's been a long road, but it's, it's, you know, that work will pay dividends Mm -hmm. for the rest of my life in all my relationships. Yeah. It's totally worth it. Okay. So, um, gosh, conflict, like getting past the initial conflict feels sometimes impossible Mm. because of my lack of tools or whoever I'm in conflicts with lack of tools. And I'm kind of curious, like, where are we supposed to pick up these tools? Mm. Yeah. I mean, I think I know that therapy and talk therapy is not everyone's preferred mode of uh, healing, which I think is fine. And I think One of the things to me about talk therapy that works as a person who's in therapy and has been for many years with the same person is that you learn how to build a relationship with your therapist. And there Mm -hmm. will, and part of that's part of at least how I work too, is it's a relationship. And it's a relationship that the client or the receiver, the recipient of therapy gets to practice new things, right? Gets to practice being like, hey, therapist that didn't feel great when you said that to me, or I disagree. And this might be sometimes really hard to do with someone else that they care about. So you're getting that experience to be relational and to name when there might be conflict. And hopefully you have a good good enough therapist who can hold the conflict with you, who can give you a new, that you two can create a new experience around conflict together right? That the person, the therapist isn't going to abandon you, isn't going to be punitive with you and tell you that it's bad that you told them how you felt, but that hopefully you two are going to co-create something really different that then you might take out into other relationships. And again, that doesn't have to be with a, a said therapist. This can be with anybody you're working with who you are having a relationship with that is you know, I think with a frame of healing around it. So that's, so, you know, there's my plug for do therapy or get some one-on-one support so that you can practice in that relationship and, and ask that person, Hey, is it going to be safe for us to explore conflict? Otherwise I think another big tool is learning to breathe 
You know, I'm thinking of, mm. I'm trying to think of socioeconomically diverse tools because I am aware not everyone can afford to go to weekly therapy in this moment. And oh we talked God. about this, you know, of making ther- wishing therapy was more accessible. And maybe that will be the case as I see a lot of trends of therapy being more va- becoming more valuable in this society when it has not always been. But nonetheless, right, it's not always accessible. So I think learning to breathe, and I say this to people all the time, invest in learning how to breathe, which these days you can do via YouTube if you have the internet, where internet is pretty accessible and free (laughs) for most folks. Not everyone, but, you know, it's way more accessible. You can do it on your cell phone. Um, Learning how to breathe tones the nervous system. Um, Like I mentioned, I... I've been practicing various energy healings, learning and studying and practicing. And one of them has been yoga. I've taught yoga for over 10 years and various forms of yoga. And one thing that is throughout all of the yogic practices that I've been involved with is knowing how to breathe. And it's that breath that I find has helped me to slow down so that in these moments when I'm dealing with really difficult conversations, when I'm dealing with having a partner who has told me that, you know, that we're open, but he's told me that he (laughs) is sleeping with someone else and I'm feeling really raw and tender that day. And I don't want to necessarily hear that. The breath is what is going to slow me down. So I think investing in learning to breathe and tone that nervous system, because we do live in a society or many of us do not maybe all of your listeners, but those of us city folks, where our sympathetic nervous system is usually the dominant part of our nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system is what is responding and what is kind of on call to like make quick decisions, to sort of do that. Like, do I flee? Do I, you know, that's what that part of the nervous system is doing. It hears those sirens. It wants to look around and make sure it's safe. And that breath is going to bring balance so that we're also making sure the parasympathetic nervous system, our rest and digest part, right, our part that can slow down, is also active in our reactions, if you will. Mm. Yeah, I love this. Thank you so much. This is this is so rich. I, I use a lot of like, just, I don't know, we call it breath work, but mm-hmm. <laughs> really it's just breathing, <laughs> breathing deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, this past week, I did you know a workshop. I did a keynote conference. I did um, a ceremony. I did a live stream, and all these things you know kind of like jack me up. You know, they like really get me my my nervous system amped. Mm-hmm. And before all of these events, like I've got to connect. I've got to breathe. I've got to slow down. I've got to like kind of get a hold, <laughs> get a hold of my. Is it, what is it? My, my sympathetic nervous system? (laughs) The sympathetic nervous system is the one that is sort of on guard, on call. That's like what I think of as like the city nervous system. Yeah. The country nervous system is the parasympathetic. (laughs) I'm moving to the country, so I'm excited. Oh, nice. Yeah. I don't know where, but, but somewhere. Um, so yeah, my city slicker nervous system gets kind of jacked up. I've I've cut down my caffeine intake to one cup a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, breathing is a beautiful tool. Walking is a beautiful tool. Taking long walks without the cell phone. Mm-hmm. Um, yoga is a beautiful tool. Stretching. Yeah, anything that can kind of relax the, the body and relax the brain. Yeah. 
so that we can approach conflict resolution from like a, a calmer space because nothing it, like it's just not going to help to be all jacked up. Yeah. And I think that's a part of that's I think that's part of being a responsible relationship partner is knowing what things you need to do to take care of your nervous system. Um, to your point, those are I hear those are some of the things that work for you. I find that just being in nature will remind me of what's real. And oftentimes to like what we started off this conversation about, the thing that is being centered in the conflict is usually not even real, right? Like the baguette. It's certainly not about that. It's not even real. We're, or even when people are disagreeing over politics to an extent, it's like, is this what y'all, like as a couple, is this what we want to hold conflict about? What are we not talking about that's going on between us, right? Because off, like mm. we talked about already, that's usually what the case is. And that's, right, like when I can get in touch with what's real in me and what I really want to talk about, I often can do that without needing to attach it to a conflict. Yeah. It might bring up another conflict, but that's a different experience. Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, it, it's, it's hard to balance, you know, resolving conflict, which I think is necessary. Like we can't really go around it. We can go around some of it, right? We, we don't have to, we don't have to process mm -hmm. every little piece of conflict, mm -hmm. right? Because sometimes it's not about the baguette. So it, it's about choosing, is this something that's worth exploring? Or can I tap into the deeper love that we have, that we have built together? Mm -hmm and know that that's actually much more important in this moment than the baguette. Yeah, it's like my therapist told right. me the other week, I was talking about a conversation I had with a friend and she was like, okay, so what's unfinished about this? And I was like, uh, and it dawned on me as I talked with her, oh, I, I like to often make a lot of things unfinished. Sometimes the conflict is I didn't like that you did this thing I can be aware of, I was in this state, I didn't express it to you clearly at the moment, but here's how it impacted me. And here are the deeper wounds that I already have that are my business to handle that came up in that moment with you. And that person can say, wow, this is how I, this is where I was coming from, et cetera. And sometimes to your point, there's nothing left to say after that. There doesn't need to be more processing. And it's about leaving certain things and letting them be finished rather than anxiously trying to re-bring them up over and over again and have this unfinished conversation that's always looming. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I think you're kind of talking about sharing somebody a part of your story without there necessarily needing to be any sort of resolution other than you really need wanting to or needing to express yourself and share with, with somebody how you feel. Mm -hmm or how that behavior made you feel. Mm -hmm. And that it's ultimately not a threat to the relationship, mm -hmm. right? So sometimes I think we blow conflict out of proportion and that every conflict is a potential threat to the relationship. And yeah. uh, rather than just seeing conflict as like a natural, a natural 
part of any relationship. We're not going to see eye to eye. And it doesn't mean that they hate you. They don't want to be with you. Right. Just that they see things differently or weren't aware of the impact of their actions or, and not to say that there are some relationships that are just like too conflictual and you, and they're not healthy for anybody. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we're not, we're not talking about those relationships. We're not. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. We're not, we're not talking about, we're not, we're, yeah. not talking. we're not talking about toxic relationships. We're not talking about unhealthy. No. Uh, we're not talking about That's abuse. Right. We're not talking about violence in a relationship. That's a whole other thing. Run of the mill conflict. Run of the mill. <laughs> Run of the mill. Of the- oh, wait, you're not going to come with me to do XYZ? Oh, wait, you want to have that instead of that? Yeah, I think your family, I don't really enjoy going to your family events. So I would rather watch football. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> you know, as we're talking, it's making me reflect on how much of the conflict and the disconnect that happens is often, and you brought this up a little earlier, it's like a, let me, let me push you away before I get pushed away because I'm scared of being abandoned. And it makes me just imagine the, you know, I think of often, sometimes I'll think collectively what's happening, not just in individuals, but I think in patterns of what's happened in certain generations of people, even right now, like what's going to happen 20 years from now for small children who grew up with their first contact being with masks or in a pandemic setting, right? Like how is that going to impact relationships 20 years from now or 10 years, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And just thinking, I think that many of, many of the humans on this planet right now have really deep abandonment issues for various reasons, because of many of the histories of different peoples. And therefore those abandonment issues, right, can have really different, they can look different, but I think that's what's at the core of some of this disconnect in the conflict is I'm so scared of being abandoned that I'm going to either abandon you or I'm going to, well, I'm going to abandon you or myself or both, but I want to be in control of it rather than actually having the conversation where, yeah, you might tell me that you no longer want to have the same dynamic we've been having. Growing up, I heard it's my way or the highway. Mm -hmm. And so if you grew up hearing it's my way or the highway, there might be an abandonment wound somewhere underneath there. (laughs) And just, you know, like some people who might think like, oh yeah, that's not my, my wound. Like, a lot of people were, were raised in, in those kinds of households. And as you were talking, I was just thinking about how oftentimes, you know, we want to be in control. Mm-hmm. I'm going to push you away before you push me away. We want to fix it. Yeah. I can't deal with this anxiety. Yeah. I need to fix this. Let's process it until it's dead. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I talked to my therapist about recently, she, you know, I was like, so what do I do? What do I do with the situation? And she goes, Maybe there's nothing to do. Yep. Maybe you just feel what's yeah. going on. Yes. And we'll talk later. <laughs> and sometimes the feeling of it will alchemize the thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's nothing to even talk about. I fully felt all of the XYZ. And now it's not even as, you know, dominant on my list of things to talk about or process. 
What do you want for dinner? <laughs> yeah, right. What time should I pick you up tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I'm not, I'm not avoiding it. It's just like it's been processed. It's not the, you know, I mean, it's sort of like pick your battles, right? Like, not everything needs to be processed. And I'm, I'm not also saying, you know, sweep it all under the rug. Um, there has to be a balance there. And sometimes a therapist is a great person to help you figure out what that balance <laughs> is. Yeah. Um, there are some tools. There's the Open Path Collective. There's I donate every month to the Loveland Foundation mm -hmm. for um, giving therapy services or, or access to therapy services to black women and girls. So, you know, there are also um, a lot of the universities or the marriage, the MFT programs have clinics and counseling centers where the new therapists are, are getting their hours and they're supervised and there's, you know, it's like where people kind of cut their teeth, which is fine. So I, totally I have fine, clients right? who I worked with when I worked at a clinic that was um, sliding scale and I still work with them and I still work with them and they're sliding scale sort of, you know, graduated sliding scale. So that can be a great place to find a clinician, if especially if you know that therapy is going to be part of your lifestyle to get someone who is in their developing stage and grow with them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're supervised. They're like trained. It's not, you know, you're not getting like. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, I mean, you, there's lots of places quality. in the Bay area with the sliding scale <laughs> um, therapy liberation Institute to your point, the clinics of, California Institute of Integral Studies. They have a somatic clinic. They have a psychodynamic clinic. They have a gestalt clinic. Um, TPI, the Psychotherapy Institute in Berkeley has a clinic also similar to being like to people who are training who are usually done with graduate school but are still getting their hours. So there's a lot of resources, yeah. especially this is one of the benefits, I think, of living in a city <laughs> is you have these resources that are not always as prominent and more isolated remote country places. However, now that so many people are doing work over the internet, such as myself, it allows us to also work with people who might not be able to physically make it to an office. Yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, how can we, so by the way, just FYI, everybody, this is a quick episode. It's a quickie on conflict. Um, Shirley, where can people find you and or slash work with you? Um, you can find me on my website at www.soulisticwellness.com. And that's my Instagram handle as well, where I post any events that I'm offering to the public, as well as sometimes I'll share different musings about anything vulnerability, relational oriented, uh, soulistic, S-O-U-L-I-S-T-I-C, wellness. And thank you so much, Sean, for having me for this little quickie. I really enjoyed getting to talk about this. And I feel my nervous system slowed down just from making time to, to drop into this a little bit more, to this topic that sometimes even I stay on the surface of. Yeah, me too. I feel great. One uh, last question. What, is, what does love mean to you, Shirley? Mm. Love is everything. Love is the totality of all of the experiences, of all of the emotions. I believe that there is no opposite of love. Love includes all the quote-unquote difficult emotions, all the quote-unquote positive emotions. Love is what holds us in every moment. And love is the supreme reality. Ooh. 
<laughs> love is the supreme reality thank you so much Shirley I really You're appreciate welcome. it thank you Sean thank you for spending this hour with Shirley and myself talking about conflict. Have a beautiful week.